Welcome to Westside Church this morning on Easter. Uh, our sunrise service was at 9 o'clock. So you're here at 11. Uh, we're just a little more relaxed here. Um, what we're going to look at this morning is uh, Peter. Uh, we're going to look at a passage in 1 Peter. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter. Uh, if you don't, the blue and white Bibles, it's page 656. Um, but before we look at that, I think it's important we just have a quick summary of uh, maybe Easter and the idea of why are we here on Easter or even Sunday morning as Christians. What is significant about this morning? Uh, the Christian faith is built on uh, the work and teaching of Jesus. And one of the greatest works was his bodily resurrection, uh, going from life to death to life. And this resurrection was three days after he was publicly crucified. He was pronounced dead. He was buried in a tomb. His followers were scattered. Uh, their shame and confusion drove them to reevaluate what they expected. So between uh, Friday evening and all day Saturday to Sunday morning, you can imagine the despair and shame that they uh, were wrestling through, trying to reevaluate what did they really hope in, what were their expectations, uh, what really just happened. On the third day, as the Gospels described, uh, Jesus was not there. He was risen. Uh, Peter is one of the disciples, one of the three closest to Jesus. Uh, many times in the Gospels, it talks about Peter, James, and John were part of something or were able to witness something that the other disciples were uh, not. One theme in this book of First Peter is the theme of hope. Uh, and it's hope in the midst of suffering. Uh, it's a wonderful book. Um, it, uh, it, what's happening in the context of 1 Peter is uh, Christians are being persecuted, chased out of areas, they're being killed. And so Peter writes this book to encourage them and to give them hope, to remind them that their hope is not found here. Their hope is found in a person of Jesus, and he is resurrected. And so there's some idea of new life that they're struggling to comprehend, just like you and I struggle to comprehend what does it mean that Jesus is resurrected. 2,000 years later, you and I still struggle to understand what does that mean on a daily basis. So this book is written to those suffering, to the wounded, the broken. It's hope for those who don't really think they matter. First uh, Peter, I'm going to read uh, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Peter begins in, in, in verse 1 just with an introduction, telling who the audience is, who's going to hear this, people that are scattered. And then he begins with this doxology statement. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Let's pray. Lord God of all mercy and grace, we ask that as we look at this passage, that you would uh, show us the blessing of having a resurrected Savior. Help us to understand what it means to live uh, this new life today. Thank you for your provision and your care 
and your love and your grace that you extend to your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as Paul or as Peter begins this, he begins to talk about a living hope. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his grace and mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Hope implies something to hold on to, something or someone or some idea that will indeed stay true or faithful or committed. Holding hope is a natural human action. We all have hope in something. Uh, We have small hopes in things, and we have great hopes in things. But we all, we, when we have a hope, it's for a reason. Uh, when we have a hope, it, somehow it causes excitement in us or value or significance. And we hold on to this. And this hope actually grips us and it drives us. How many things are you driven by that are things of hope in your life? That you hope for something so you know if you take these steps, you might be closer to that hope. That hope might be a career. Uh, might be a certain type of education. It might be some type of relationship. It could be marriage. It could be children. Uh, and then we have a hope that these things are going to fulfill us in some way. And so we live and we're driven by them. The biblical story of hope is very different. Uh, it's more of a concrete, a solid hope that we have a, uh, we have a life after death that is full life. N.T. Wright talks about this, and he says, Hope is what you get when you, when you suddenly realize that a different worldview is possible. A worldview in which the rich, the powerful, the unscrupulous do not have all the last words. The same worldview shift that is demanded by the resurrection of Jesus is the shift that will enable us to transform the world. Something is dramatically different this is what happens when we have a hope that is greater than just us, greater than just you and your ideas of your life. When there's a hope that is greater and the hope that is extended to you here by the message of Jesus, that you are called to a living hope. The, the way our hopes operate is we create something or we create an idea and think if we fulfill that, then that will fulfill me. The difference in the biblical hope is it is a living hope that is given to you. One writer describes hope as disciplined waiting. We assume that we all have hope. But I want you to ask a question about your hope. And this is, I imagine, the question that the the disciples asked during these 30 or so hours between the death of Christ and all day Saturday. What is something that would shatter your hope? What is something that, uh, whatever your hope is, that you find joy and longing for something, what would, that, what would happen that would make that hope be shattered? Because this is what the disciples wrestled with. Friday evening as they went to bed and all day Saturday, their hope, and what it really is, is their expectation was shattered. This is what the disciples felt after Um, this Friday, which we term Good Friday, and all day Saturday were hours of despair and brokenness and hurt. And I'm sure there was 
a mix of shame in that. But really, it's unmet expectations. They expected that Jesus, to show that he was king and Messiah, would actually not die. It's pretty common. Like here, everyone thinks that Jesus is king and he's Messiah, and their thought is, this is great. And obviously, he's not going to die. He's going to bring in this new political kingdom, and he's going to set Israel and the Jews free. And that was probably an unspoken thing. But of all the times that Jesus told them, I will die, and three days later, I will, ra- I will, be, I will uh, raise again. Because messiahs don't die. They're not supposed to. Kings that are called to rule are not supposed to die and, and create some kind of failure. Uh, what's happening if, if you mark a line uh, when Jesus lived and you, you extend back in history 100 years and then you extend it forward in history 100 years, so you basically have a 200-year span with Jesus in the middle. There were roughly 12 Jewish men who came and proclaimed that they were the Messiah. And so all of these men did similar things to Jesus. They taught. They were in the synagogue. They uh, cared for people. They extended mercy to the poor. And as they lived, what happened to all of them was that their life ended in a violent way. They were killed. And so if you and I were followers of these messiahs, what would we do? The messiah we're following, he dies. You really have two choices. One, Obviously, you have to leave town, and you move somewhere else, and you live a quiet life because of the shame or despair that you're feeling because of your hope or expectation has been let down. The other option is you just turn around, and you find another Messiah, and then you begin to follow that one. But what happened to all of these Messiahs is they died, and that was it. Any movement they created, any momentum people audience, faithful followers, as soon as they died, they scattered. Because why would you follow someone who is dead and gone? This is why the resurrection of Jesus is so significant. Because 2,000 years later, we still have this movement of Christianity because Jesus rose from the dead. None of us know who those other 12 or so men are. We have no recollection of who they are. You'd have to do some significant study to really understand who they were and what they stood for. This is why the resurrection of Jesus is so significant. So why does it really matter that Jesus rose from the dead? What does that do for you and I when we wake up on a boring Wednesday morning, we go to the job we don't like, how does the resurrection impact us? One, because it shows that Jesus is completely different. There's no other Messiah that has gone from life to death to life than Jesus. It shows that the Christian hope is a real hope. It's not just a a hope that floats around, an idea that we really hope this happens. The historical books of the Bible, we have a promise that this is what's happened in history And this is what will happen in the future. It's a promise to you and I. 
And Jesus reorients, reorients us to life. And so we turn from our expectations and we become people of hope instead. And not a hope that we've created. It's not that we've gotten together and said, these things are really valuable. Let's just hope everyone else learns that these are valuable and devote our life to it. The God of all creation that has communicated to us, not only in the person of Jesus, but in Scripture, and he has told us these are things that are valuable. And he knows our weakness and our faith that he has given us a real tangible person, Jesus in the flesh. And he did a great work. And so we're, we're called to be people of hope, and then we're to be people of a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. This is an event that um, sometimes because of our ideas in the 21st century, we look at history and we think those people were just primitive. They really don't understand the things that we understand things. They lived in the same world that you and I live in. When someone is alive, they're alive. When someone is dead, they are dead. No one goes from life to death to life. Does not happen. True today, true 2,000 years ago. That's why Jesus was so dramatically different. And in this belief in Jesus and his resurrection, there are some people that believe this, and there are some people that do not believe this. But the misconception is that the one group of people uh, have faith who believe in this, and the people who do not believe in this, they don't have faith. The truth is, every person is a person of faith. It's just, what are you, depend, what are you basing your faith on? And so these people who have faith in Jesus, what does, what does living a life of hope and faith really look like? Oscar Wilde has a play called Salome. And there's a scene in this play where Herod is told of Jesus um, rising from the dead. And Herod, in this play, was really fine with Jesus uh, healing and doing good works. But when Jesus rose from the dead, this is how King Herod reacted in this play. King Herod says, I forbid him to do that. I allow no man to raise from the dead. This man must be found and told that I forbid him to raise from the dead. What's shocking and humorous about that is in that play, Herod understood how everything changes because Jesus was raised from the dead. You and I really don't understand the way this play portrays this. Everything changes. And Herod was so threatened, he wanted to send people out to tell Jesus, you can't do that. And why did Herod want to do that? Because Herod realized that changes everything. It changes what life is. It changes what is valued in life. It changes what death is. And it changes what happens after death. So Herod was right. Forbid him. He cannot do that. Because Herod understood how dramatically that would change Herod's own life. And this is what the resurrection does. It changes everything. But so many Christians, we have this false view that the resurrection is only really good 
when we die, and then we can hold on to it then. And we can know that there's life after death, and we wait for that moment to hold on to the resurrection. Instead of understanding like Herod, it changes everything. There's a reality to the resurrection that impacts every single thing in your day and my day. Because what happens is when Jesus was raised from the dead, he had his physical body, his resurrected body with him. So what does that tell us? This is valuable. This is significant. Living some life where you and I will think that anything physical is bad and anything spiritual is glorious is not the biblical understanding of what life is about. The resurrection makes everything you and I do in this physical world valuable and significant. Because when we pass from this life to the next, and the new heavens and the new earth, and God's kingdom is uh, perfect, and we live within it, it will be tangible. It is real. We will not float around like angels or be in the choir, which I was kicked out of in junior high. And so that might be like one of my secret things in heaven. But it's real. So what that tells us is the physical life that you and I live today matters. Everything we do matters. So Jesus is raised from the dead. Life means something different. Death means something different. This physical world matters because Jesus is resurrected in his physical body. And our goal is not to escape this physical world, which, if we're really honest with ourselves, I think that is some of our worldview. We put our head down and think, I just have to get through this miserable place, and then there'll be glory. You misunderstand the resurrection. You misunderstand the mission of Jesus. It is renewing what you and I do every moment of every day in this tangible world with our fingers and toes, the sunshine and the earth and the rocks and the trees. It's significant. And then there's an inheritance. It says we are, we are uh, called to a living hope because the resurrection of Jesus to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, kept in heaven for you. The only way Peter can describe life after death is in negative terms. This will not happen to it. That's how he describes life after death. It is imperishable. Death and destruction cannot touch it. It is undefiled. Pollution and decay have no chance. It's unfading. It will not change. This inheritance is always in full bloom. And it's kept in heaven for you. You are neither the source of this hope or the sustainer of it. God in his mercy sustains this world and the next world. He sustains them. It is not our job to sustain them. One writer describes the implications of the resurrection in our everyday life in this way. The point of the resurrection is that the present bodily, bodily life is not valueless because, just because it will die. 
What you do with your body in the present matters because God has a great future in store for it. What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sowing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, fighting injustice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life less beastly or a little more bearable. They are part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. So your passion for art, your talent for poetry is significant. That's not just to buy time. It's significant. significant. It shows God's creativity and his love for tangible, real things. In 1 Corinthians 15, it's a whole chapter about the resurrection. And at the end of it, Paul says, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Your labor is not in vain. The work you do now, today, this week is not in vain. It is not wasted. It is significant because Christ rose from the dead in a resurrected body with flesh on, which reminds us there's a world that we cannot comprehend. This present life has significant value and meaning because of the resurrection. For many of you, as you hear that, you might think of your own life I think we all have a tendency towards shame and guilt and regret and think if all these things matter, look at my life. And you, you might think, you don't want it to matter. And this is where Peter comes in. If you were to ask anyone, uh, tell me about Peter in the Bible, they, all of them would probably be able to say, uh, he denied Jesus and there's probably a rooster involved. That is what they could understand. They're not going to say he was one of the three most beloved disciples, that he wrote the book of First and Second Peter. They're not going to say these things. They're going to remember his misery and shame. And so imagine what happened to Peter, uh, the death of Christ, all day on this lonely Saturday. What was going through his mind? And it might be the same thing that goes through your mind when you think about your life. And you think of the things that you have done or not done, and you feel shame and guilt. But what's so amazing is that Peter is completely transformed. Peter dies a martyr's death. Even though what we read about in the Gospels is that he denies Jesus. And if you were to lay out the, the 11 disciples and say, uh, who's the best? We'd probably not choose Peter. If you were to say, who's the most broken? We would choose Peter. But look what happens to Peter's life. He dramatically is changed because of the resurrection. There's hope for transformation. Peter, who's called Simon Peter, a man of passion at the wrong time, a man who denied any association with Jesus, a man who showed his devotion and was... um, not as serious about Jesus as one would expect as a disciple. It was this man 
who Jesus sees. In the end of Luke 24, when um, the story of Jesus uh, being seen by hundreds of people, towards the end of that chapter, it said, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon, which is Simon Peter. Why is that so significant? That of all the people to be named here, it could have been any of the other disciples, Mary and Martha, anyone who saw Jesus. But what we have here is Jesus saying, Peter needs to know. Peter needs to know that anything in his life that brings shame or hurt or brokenness, Peter needs to know there's a resurrection and there's forgiveness and there's grace. And so Peter's named at the end of this chapter in Luke Jesus meets Peter in his despair and doubt and little faith. The joyful shouts of he is risen come from the mouths of people who remember that he was buried. When you and I begin to grasp the brokenness of the disciples and the brokenness of Jesus in his sacrifice for us, then the more we can shout on a Sunday morning that he is risen. Because Everything changes. Your economy of what it means to be a good person dramatically changes because Christ has risen. What is valuable in your day dramatically changes because Christ is risen. Their life in some way feels shattered and hopeless, maybe like yours, that he is risen and he is with you. And simply the message of Jesus in the Gospels is that Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. He died on a cross. Three days later, he rose from the dead. He appeared to hundreds of people. Then he ascended into heaven, and he's at the right hand of God the Father with his resurrected body. God's promise is that he who has faith in Jesus and his work has this great promise in the future, but also has this great promise and hope that things matter today, that life is significant, the relationships you and I build, the time we spend investing in people and moving toward them, the work we do, the mercy we extend, the justice we fight for, it matters. In the resurrection of Jesus, everything is made new. Everything. And a real hope is restored. Not a hope that we make up, but a hope that God extends to us that's a living hope. One of the great things that we get to do every Sunday here at Westside Church is come and receive of this table of the Lord's Supper where we hold tangible things in our hands. We hold bread and we hold Uh, the fruit of the vine, and it's real, and we can touch it and smell it to remind us that all of these things are not horrible because Christ rose again. This is significant, and he knows your weak faith and doubt. And he meets us in those just like he meets Peter. Let's pray and prepare our hearts to come and receive of this meal. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you know us more than we know ourselves. 
We thank you for the significance of the perfect life, the perfect death, and the resurrection of Jesus, and how it's something we need, and how it transforms how we think about this world. We pray as we come to this table that we would prepare our hearts to receive this in faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.